Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show I do where I talk about the stuff that I've seen since the last time I did one of these. That's right, it's me, David, flying solo again. Tyler, Tyler will be back on the journal in a couple of weeks. Um, no, I don't think I'll do a journal next week, so it'll just be uh, the two of us in, in, in two weeks. But it's been a while since I did one of these, so I have some some catching up to do. So let's uh, jump right into it. Uh, starting with, I watched a movie uh, directed by Henry King, 1950s, The Gunfighter, um, starring Gregory Peck. Uh, it's a Western, as you might imagine. It was actually, those who remember might remember that, uh, <clears throat> yeah, those who remember might remember uh, that uh, Julie talked about it on the um, TCM Classic Film Festival wrap-up. I did not see it at the fest, but I uh, did watch it on Blu-ray. Um and uh yeah i guess it it it, it kind of got me thinking about um i i feel like i was in film school i was taught and we and we read about the idea of the revisionist western kind of starting in like the the 60s with like the wild bunch and stuff like that but this is 1950 and um this is an entire movie about how being the baddest, fastest gun in the West uh, is an incredibly lonely, punishing, uh, existentially fraught and painful position to be in. Um, Gregory Peck plays a, a guy who has made that name for himself and is now blown back into uh, the town where some of his old cohorts live to try and, uh, uh, I don't know, make amends, have a conversation. We don't know what exactly his plans are because he doesn't get very far because before he's recognized and people already start challenging him and uh again um so uh it's it's um you know it's a western has a couple of of shootout or at least you know some some gunplay mostly at the beginning and at the end um but most of the middle section of of the movie is just uh this guy sort of um talking to the people around him about how uh his life sucks and he made the wrong decisions and and he's trying to put things as right as he can before he is inevitably like gunned down by someone trying to make a name for themselves as the fastest gun in the west so um kind of the uh um very very sad version of the uh first entry in the ballad of buster scruggs um after that i watched i went to uh movie theater because uh, that's the way to see this movie i went to the movie theater to see joseph kaczynski's top gun maverick uh now i will say that i did i'm not counting it because i don't count every rewatch as as a, an entry in the movie journal but i did rewatch top gun the first one the night before uh in in, in sort of in preparation uh for this it's not very good top gun is just is is, is not very good and top gun maverick uh is so much better but not the stuff that like it's still not <laughs> i'm trying to think how to say this basically my one sentence review is the top gun maverick every time anyone gets in a plane and gets up in the air the movie's amazing and it just doesn't let the movie go too long in between without that stuff happening so this is <laughs> like it doesn't let you get bored really so i'm not i don't want to say that this is like wow this is like the you know 
the Logan of Top Gun movies, like this really like in, in investigates the uh, gets inside the psyche of, of of Maverick. No, we see he's pretty much the same guy he was at the end of Top Gun uh, and has lived that way for thirty uh, something years. And, and the movie is just an excuse to get him back up into the air. And uh, yeah, Joseph Kaczynski shoots these um, amazing uh, flying sequences that are that are not um, fakey. You know, they're not like pre-visualization. They're all real uh, fighter jets, as Tom Cruise told us before the movie in a pre-recorded uh, statement. Um, real fighter jets uh, flying around, uh, real reactions, and uh, as as just. Um, uh, I mean, I think it definitely rivals Ambulance for Best Action, Best American Action Movie of uh, 2022 so far um i probably overall liked ambulance more because it doesn't have it has even fewer boring parts uh whereas top gun maverick has like a whole plot line with jennifer connelly though this is the one <laughs> this is the one uh benefit to my having rewatched top gun the night before is that like i knew they weren't bringing back kelly mcgillis as as charlie from from top gun but i did recommend because i watched it <laughs> the night before i did recognize like oh Jennifer Connelly's character isn't some new made-up love interest. They actually, this is actually the Admiral's daughter that they, that, that Goose references uh, in in the first movie. But um, it, yeah, it, it, this, none of that is the reason to see it. The reason to see it is uh, to be as I was so tense that I'm literally not sitting in my chair. I was kind of like a board, like perpendicular from the uh, edge in the back of of the chair for most of the last like forty minutes of the movie. Next up, I watched a documentary called New- The Newspaper Man. The Newspaperman. Um, the Life and Times of Ben Bradley. This is a documentary about Ben Bradley, the former editor of the Washington Post. Um, it uh, uh, has the, the benefit of actually being narrated by him. Um, uh, because of like notes that he took for um, an autobiography, a memoir. I'm not sure if that ever came out. Uh, but this is, you know, pretty standard, like made for HBO documentary type of stuff. It's not groundbreaking cinema. It's mostly just an overview. You know, it's it's a, a filmed magazine article. <laughs> um, so yeah, I found it uh, interesting and. Uh, somewhat in, informative, but I kind of feel like between uh, all the president's men and in in the post, um, I've, I kind of feel like I already had a pretty good uh, idea of of Ben Bradley. Not a lot of not a whole lot of uh, uh, revelations, but uh, you know what was revelatory is uh, Terrence Davies' benediction. Um, I'm at a a loss here because I'm kind of um, stuck for what to say about about Terrence Davies, whose whose style as a filmmaker and his interests are so classical. You know, this is a uh, you know I I just talked about like a standard template for a movie with the newspaper man. Um, Terrence Davies made this is a movie that is a biopic of uh, of a, a. a British poet from um, the uh, early and mid uh, 20th century named Siegfried Sassoon. Um, 
and again, like you could see, this is very like well appointed and and uh, a handsome movie. And and there are so many there's so many ways I could describe this movie that make it sound like standard like Sony Pictures classics <laughs> like period costume uh, drama. But um, his Terrence Davies movies are are so imbued in. To, uh, up to the the brim almost overflowing with with emotion even though the characters are often not you know there's not a lot of like storm and drawing at all or anything like that the, um there's there there's just such loving attention paid to every detail uh in, in a very classical sense of framing and blocking but also uh in, production design and, and, and costume design and you've got a great script and, and, and great uh, actors um, there's I guess there's something to be said for the way that Terrence Davies in, in, in general Benediction in, in particular uh, argues that you know because I've I, maybe I'm even learning this lesson myself because I've said like I think you know last year or two years ago or whatever I said that like uh, the movie Zola like sort of showed how movies like need to adapt to 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 stay relevant I'm not sure how relevant Benediction is outside of like cinephile circles but it does make an argument that like there is still a great deal of beauty that can be wrung from traditional like classic classicist uh filmmaking um made with 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 expertise and a great deal of brilliant creativity and 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 care uh, it's an incredibly moving, moving, moving movie. I haven't gotten into the details about how it goes sort of back and forth in, in many ways between um, um, young Siegfried Sassoon's uh, life and his his older life. Um, they're full of love, but also very full of pain. There's, um, you know, he came back from the First World War, but also is a... Um, a gay man, and he's also in, like intellectual or whatever and all of these he's basically like a member with his his like ptsd makes him the movie doesn't call it ptsd but like he's clearly like uh the the war plays a big part in his his psyche and and so you've got this movie about him like belonging to certain i don't know identities or groups or whatever that are all like cloistered in their own in in their own way he can't really talk about his p his 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 war experience but he also can't really talk about his um uh his sexuality outside of his immediate uh circle and and his um interests in art and literature and stuff make him uh uh you know not as mainstream it's it's just um a very sad story about a man like belonging to different groups and not and, and none of them really uh, giving him the sense of community or, or what have you that uh, that groups are supposed to. Um, 
speaking of gay men, I suppose, <laughs> weird transition, but uh, that's what Fire Island is about. Um, Andrew, Andrew Wan is a, a director that I have definitely sung the praises of before, starting with his debut uh, feature Spa Night and continuing with um, 2020's uh, beautiful and, and quiet but uh, uh, lovingly observed movie Driveways. Uh, now he's made his sort of uh not major it's a i guess it's a searchlight picture direct to hulu type of thing but his like highest profile movie yet um fire island which is a i didn't know this until after the fact because i'm not a jane austen guy but uh is an adaptation of pride and prejudice uh set on fire island which once i know that i realized like oh yeah i saw the pride and prejudice movie with uh with kira knightley so uh i i i see the um the comparisons uh but um it's uh it's it's beautifully uh photographed um by uh philippe vara del philippe philippe vara del rey is the uh uh cinematographer and um it, it's interesting to compare it to Andron's previous work because it has you know driveways took place in sort of an ex-urban part of uh, uh america and here you've got this like island escape where there are you know woods and 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 beaches and walkways and so you've got this like proximity to nature that you had in, in driveways um you've also got gay men like you had in spawn night but spawn night is about a mostly closeted man fire island is a place where all of these men who are already out in their normal lives anyway they start the movie talking about how we don't have to see another straight person for an entire week and um and that's true by the way there are no straight characters in the movie um uh and, and so i i guess the idea of taking like modern urban gay life into a more uh, a less urban uh, uh, setting is is an interesting um, dynamic. I mean, it's not obviously not like <laughs> it's interesting dynamic for the movies we tend to see uh, about gay men in in real life. There are gay men all over the place, and and gay men do go to Fire Island. I've I've, I've known Fire Island as a reference for most of my life. Um, uh for for that for that reason uh and, and so there's a i guess the sense of community in place really comes across in in the movie um the cast is also very charming the movie is often very funny um and the uh the romance the various romances uh hit i'm like rooting for for the characters um moving on to 1970s incredibly uh <laughs> poor taste <laughs> movie the other side of madness uh directed by frank howard this is a uh basically it has some documentary footage but it is basically a reenactment of the uh tate labianca murders the the Helter Skelter, Charlie Manson murders, and in the um, in the days leading up to the events leading up 
to them. Um, and it also features a song by Charles Manson. And like I said, this is 1970. This is like when this stuff was all real fresh. So again, very much in poor taste. Um, that said, not made without skill. This is not a, um, a uh, purely schlock exercise there uh frank howard who's like never made anything else as far as i can tell um like he knows how to sustain interest without dialogue over a long period of time there's also like some almost impressionistic like cutting between like the documentary footage and like uh courtroom testimony and 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 stuff and and weaving these things together to 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 give a sense i don't know if it's an accurate sense he's a little bit too into it but to give a sense of the spawn ranch and and the days leading up to this and then the murder scenes themselves again horrifying and really uh ghoulish that he did this uh, so soon after it, it it happened and and um uh, envisioned them envisioned these murders as uh thoroughly as as he did but also like not poorly directed <laughs> i'm i'm so like hesitant to say nice things about this uh this movie but um it definitely was not uh uh it, it was way more watchable than i thought it would be but in a horrifying way uh all right next up a i guess it's not really a documentary i guess it's more of a concert film in the sense that it's like a stage performance it's uh it's called notes from the field the director to me is christy zaya or zia uh and it is um a one woman uh play it's uh the great anna devere smith uh uh stars and and she is i, I guess it's a um documentary play is the uh terminology i've heard for this sort of thing before where all of the it's a series of monologues but all those monologues are taken from actual like interviews or again court testimony or 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 things like that um and and so she's um playing all these different people along the uh the, the the story of the I'm not, I'm not sure how to how to r- r- wrap it all up, but from um, uh, police brutality victims and those who have like caught police brutality on camera to the prison system to just the um, it, it seems to be a, a movie in which she is, even though she's not only playing black men, um, it is a movie about the all the different directions. It, in America from which uh, pressure is put on black men and, and it seems to be trying to force them into a very narrow set of options um, and and the the outcome often feels predetermined it's a uh, the, the thing is the movie I think <laughs> I think or, or the or the piece I guess is uh, seems kind of like pessimistic and fatalistic but it has this kind of like obligatory like lightweight uplift near the end that um i kind of uh rolled my eyes at but as a showcase for anna devere smith um you can't go wrong and who wouldn't want a show a 90 minute showcase for the great anna devere smith 
sorry i had to take a water break there it's just me um talking today so after notes in the field i watched um another i guess sort of documentary um uh symbiopsychotaxi plasm take one i've been wanting to see this for a, a long time uh and if you don't um know the 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 movie um it's the director william greaves the the premise is that he's shooting a scene i don't know it's supposed to, um i've heard it described as it's supposed to be a screen test i don't really he's shooting a scene an argument between a couple but he's also shooting the crew making the 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 scene we're seeing the process of it being made but then we're also getting off set like in the production office or downtime like conversations about the movie both the movie that he's shooting in the park but also the movie that we're watching um uh without him in it so it's a movie about the making of but it's not about the making of a movie it's a it's about the making of a scene which only exists to make this movie about the making of the scene so it's a movie about itself uh, uh i guess and um what i'll say is if that sounds like dense uh to you don't worry the movie is a lot of fun <laughs> actually um there's also a lot of stuff that doesn't uh that that i mean i think they're talking about things that are in important but a lot of the terminology uh kind of uh, uh i don't know chafes uh uh today with uh, they're talking the the scene between the couple often the woman her dig at her husband or yeah, i think they're supposed to be married um is to question his sexuality um and i i i think and this comes up in the conversation that talking about those kind of like deep-seated uh fears in straight men and the way that um someone who knows a man well enough can like uh push his buttons by speaking to those fears is is very um uh, very interesting but there's also a lot of f slur uh, that you kind of have to take with a grain of salt i think um it feels weird to say that a movie's fun that has uh, uh that so much of that that language but uh, uh it really is because william greaves himself this is what i'm saying he doesn't seem like it seems like a serious like high concept project but whenever he's on camera he seems to be like kind of like having a good time and just like really into seeing where this goes and clearly was uh fine with leaving in a lot of uh conversations among the crew that are uh questioning him not to his face like behind his back uh questioning him um so uh yeah i guess uh i've often said not an original quote i've often quoted the quote that um every film is a documentary of its own making and symbio psycho taxiplasm take one is uh literally that uh okay moving on to a new uh, greek film debut film from director christos nico uh who had worked previously under yorgos lanthimos uh his 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 debut film was called apples and um it takes place where the in modern greece but in this world there's this uh unexplained disease or something going around um and that causes people uh to have sudden amnesia uh and permanent 
uh, amnesia and um so the main character is uh a man to whom this happens and then he you know goes to the hospital no one comes to claim him so we get the impression he must be a very solitary person and then he starts um he he enrolls in this sort of experimental uh uh treatment for the uh amnesia and through that he meets a woman who is also in the same boat that that he's in um uh i think christos nico and um the 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 main actor whose name i think is uh eris servitalis uh really do a good job of getting at the the sadness it feels like uh given that how much of it is in the sort of yoga slantimos style it feels like there's a risk of it of the movie being sad in that sort of like self-consciously hip um riley stern's type of way um that that tends to to irk me and there is some of that where it's like a little too pleased with itself but um uh i actually buy this guy's life even probably even before but especially like just the idea of not knowing who, who you are is not um is is not treated as just a high concept premise for the movie it's it's psychologically real and uh truly sad so uh i like that stuff about it but there is i think still too much like post lanthimos like deadpan cutesiness <laughs> that's not the right word but that's how i think of it as it, uh, the movies oh you think you're cute huh apples my movie's even called apples which is a cute name um all right next movie i'm not going to talk much about it all because tyler talked about it a while ago um like a year ago i don't know the movie journal a um 1958 monster movie directed by richard e kuna uh called giant from the unknown um and uh yeah they um <laughs> it's a uh about a couple of scientists in rural who find themselves in rural america as most of these movies usually are about um and then a lightning strike brings to life the corpse of a Spanish conquistador who then goes around uh, terrorizing people. But also that doesn't happen to like half of the movie. The movie, like a lot of these, these B horror movies from the, the period, it's actually like really talky and it's like 77 minutes or whatever feels a lot longer. There's a part, <laughs> there's like the, the young scientist and the older scientist and the older scientist has a daughter who like coincidentally conveniently is very pretty and also is about the same age as the younger scientists so i wonder what's going to happen there anyway the two scientists are going off to look for whatever the fuck they're looking for and they're like you stay behind and like tend to the campsite or whatever um lady and uh there's a shot of the woman <laughs> she's got like hands on her hips and shaking her head as they're walking off and it holds forever like he's just trying to get to that 77 minute runtime or whatever forever she's like shaking her head and then finally she goes men have all the fun 
<laughs> it's so it's so awkward and telegraphed and 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 drawn out and a lot of the movie just seems a lot of the movie is like that just kind of like boring but at least i got picked out something that was like weirdly like funny in an unintentional way most of the movie isn't isn't that most of the movie is just boring hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line uh all right moving on to a movie that was a huge surprise to me and shouldn't have been but i think there's okay here's what happens with these direct netflix movies every time one comes out especially if it has a big star or is by a big director um you see the same like conversation on film twitter about like uh can you believe there's a whole new like richard linkletter movie or whatever coming out in less than a week and no one is talking about it but the thing is everyone who would want to know about it is talking about it (laughs) so whatever netflix is doing it weirdly it doesn't work in the way that i would like because i would like people other than already committed richard linkletter fans uh, to know about a new Richard Linklater movie. This the movie I'm talking about is an Richard Linklater movie. I'll get to it in a second. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is people keep calling this out as if it's like a fuck up on Netflix's part. Like, how are they not promoting this movie? But then when it comes out, all the people who want to see it will see it. So um, it works for Netflix to do things this way. I don't love it um, because it makes movies more of a niche you know a big movie should be uh um visible to more people than just uh the people it would already appeal to based on its like keywords and logline or whatever so that brings me to the movie that i'm talking about that i wish i had known more about beforehand because one thing that did get lost is that hustle i knew was the new like semi-serious adam sandler basketball movie i didn't know until i saw it that it was directed by jeremiah zagar who made we the animals a few years ago which i loved uh um and and i i I wish i'd been more excited beforehand to see this uh because here's the thing it's really good hustle um is in a way if it's a very different movie from benediction but it kind of goes to the type of thing that i was talking about where it's just like it's uh, the, the the filmmaking is still very Jeremiah uh, Zagar. There's a lot of um, the camera kind of floats and the lighting is often, it, it feels um, intentionally like um, as if the, I know it's all, it's all digital, but it kind of looks like it's been like pushed in po- post-production where things are a little like uh darks are like the blacks are a little chunkier than they would would be in a quote-unquote like hollywood like professional production so it has that kind of like uh uh independent feel to it even though it's clearly not an independent movie netflix a netflix movie is not an independent movie um 
but it's all but what i'm saying is it's all in service of a pretty standard um inspirational sports movie adam sandler plays a former athlete who's now a pro scout who discovers this like completely unknown out of left field talent and um nobody believes him and he like makes it his goal to because it was like you know we would have known we know what you know the scouts know about future nba players when they're in seventh grade or whatever um we would know uh and so it becomes his like mission to uh get this guy into the nba um it has a lot of um nba people playing themselves or playing characters who are like themselves i don't really have um anything to say about that because i don't follow basketball so i don't know who any of these people are but um uh it's just inspirational sports stuff it's great adam sandler is great um like at what he does uh he's he's uh he's he's very he's very charming uh he's very root forable um which you know various directors have used to to different uh uh, ends but uh yeah definitely recommend hustle uh all right next up <clears throat> uh this is a a double feature i saw at the arrow of um they're doing a whole month long samuel jackson retrospective uh and so they actually programmed on 35 millimeter film um a casey lemons double feature two films by casey lemons that star Samuel Jackson. The first is Eve's Bayou, which is a movie that I have literally for 25 years been like meaning to get to, and it was kind of like, oh, here's an excuse to like go see Eve's Bayou, uh, and yeah, it, it it didn't disappoint. It's a period piece coming of age movie starring a young Journey Smollett as <laughs> not to split hairs, a character named Eve, but she is not the titular character. Eve's Bayou is the name of the town, and Journey Smollett's Smollett's Eve is descended from and named after the woman the town is named after, but it's not technically a titular character. That's not important at all. <laughs> but I just wanted to make that that uh, the distinction. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, you know, I mentioned before one thing I liked about Fire Island is there are no straight characters. Uh, there are no white people in east bayou or any other uh, race other than 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 black people it is about a 1960s uh small black town or at least a neighborhood in a, in a, in a black neighborhood in a, in a small town in louisiana uh and everything and, and i think because there's no one other than black people the movie doesn't specifically recognize race in any way and so in in some ways you could say this is just a movie about a community and the way that there are secrets and and um and and connections and rivalries and resentments and all these things boiling in any uh uh community you could you could say that but also you can uh point to the very um it's not um it's not um a coincidence that the, or it's not un un uh, important and remarkable that Samuel Jackson's character is like not just a doctor he's like the black doctor you know um and and uh so it's in one sense about a community but it's about a community that has to be in a way has to be like 
there for each other and in closely involved in one another's lives because they uh, have to depend on one one another um, at, at all times. But mostly, like I said, it's a coming of age story about a girl sort of realizing that um, the world is a more complex place. I don't want to give too much away because it has some uh, big uh, uh, secrets and some, some, big, some big questions. Um, but it's a... Uh, yeah, another movie that's a great sense of community. And then I followed that up with another movie that I had never... This one, unlike *Used by You, I had never really meant to see The Caveman's Valentine. I don't remember it getting good reviews uh, when it came out. Um, but I'm so glad I saw it. I'm so glad I saw it when I, the way I did, you know, on 35mm and on, on, a, on a big screen. Because um, it's, a, it's, a, it's essentially the like high in the running for strangest film noir I've ever seen. Um, it, it, it's about a schizophrenic homeless man played by Samuel Jackson who, uh, lives in a cave in a park in New York city. And then a dead body is found outside of his cave. He's not a suspect in the murder or anything. In fact, no one thinks it's a murder at first, but some thinks it's just a, a guy to come to the elements. Um, but because this happens, he gets involved in solving this murder that goes into like the world of like high priced art and finance. <laughs> and all the while he is dealing with his paranoid delusions about a man who lives in the Chrysler building and is pulling the strings and, and, uh, um, trying to ruin his life. Uh, in, in particular, he's also like dealing with the fact that, you know, he has, he has a grown daughter that is essentially not a part of his life because of what's, uh, going on with him. It's such a strange movie as like detective noir. I would say it's plot kind of like, there's a lot of intrigue, 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 and then like it all gets wrapped up and explained in a big like villain speech at the end. It has that sort of like, I guess it's a good mystery if it had been apportioned correctly, but it's really just like kind of awkwardly like here's how everything happened. Um, so it's not like great noir in 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 that sense, but uh, in in the sense of a uh, every man who is in this case not an every man. Um, getting drawn into an underworld, which is in this case has to do with fine art and uh, and, and and wealth. Uh, it's a pretty fascinating and, and strange uh, uh, bit of film noir. So that's the caveman's Valentine. Um, we are moving right along to Sophie Hyde's "Good Luck to You, Leo Grand." Uh, which is a showcase for uh, two actors, Emma Thompson and uh, Daryl McCormick. Um, she is a, I think, a retired uh, teacher um, and a widow uh, who has enlisted the services of a male escort named leo grand to spend some time in a hotel room and they end up having multiple sessions and the movie is essentially like a four-act play that's mostly just these two characters um it's very well acted i mean you can't go wrong with emma thompson um 
but I also think it's uh, ambitions are kind of superficial. Like it's very one way. Like um, Leo is uh, a character who's like, I mean, he doesn't like have it all figured out, but there's not that much to his character. I think I kept expecting the movie to be more of like a back and forth, but it really is just, it's just a story of, uh, this woman sort of having a late bloom and realizing, you know, the ways in which she has lived very small up until this point. Uh, and, and I guess that's my other problem. I, I still think it's very like competently made and again, wonderfully acted. So like if I had to, you know, if you tried to pin me down, I had to say like more thumbs up than, th- than thumbs down, but I have some problems with it. And, and that's, an, that's another one is that it feels like it's too content to, you know, I like movies that figure things out along with the characters. I feel like in this case, there's a sense that the movie already is where it wants, uh, I forget her name. Um, uh, Nancy is her name. I feel like the movie is already where it wants Nancy to end up. And then it looks upon itself and her approvingly for having gotten there by the end of the movie. And I feel like that's, um, uh, that's a little small. That's, um, you can, you can do more with art than just, uh, you know, lay out a, a, a thesis. So, um, I found I sound like I'm being very critical. There's plenty to recommend uh, the movie. Um, but to move on to a movie that is just, I think, kind of aggressively not for me, uh, and I'm sorry, uh, I, I, I saw Dean Fleischer Camp's Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. I managed to avoid... I mean, I, I knew of Marcel the Shell with Shoes On when it was like a web series or whatever it was, and I never watched it. Um, it didn't seem like it was for me. Now I've seen the full-length movie vo- version. And yeah, it's not really for me. It's... Um, uh, I, 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 I love uh, Jenny Slate, and she does get some... Uh, she's doing Marcel as of in a very, she's voicing this shell with the sentient shell with shoes, um, in a very like cute, like little boy type of way. But like, she's saying things that are actually funny and maybe sometimes like challenging the human character, um, played by, uh, Dean Fleischer camp. Um, uh, uh, it, so there's there's some there's some funny stuff, but mostly it's just like it's a pretty standard like Marcel is a shell that has been separated from his community, from his family, and um, he finds a human uh, uh, companion who wants to help him reunite. It's it's like it's it's pretty familiar kid movie stuff, um, and. Um, it has Jenny Slate's voice, literally and figuratively, uh, going for it, but it's just, it's really just not my cup of tea, I guess. Um, like like Spike Lee said about Green Book, was, it wasn't my cup of tea. Um, uh, okay, back to older movies. I watched 1977's The Ascent, directed by Larissa Shepitko. Um... And, uh, yeah, I feel like I just watched this the other night and my brain is like so fried right now from 
doing this movie journal on my own. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what to 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 say about it, um, but uh, mostly uh, it's very harrowing um, stuff about um, Soviet soldiers, uh, I, I guess, um, during. Um, during World War uh, uh, Two, um, um, and I, okay, so it it's I guess like a lot of here's what I'll say like a lot of Russian films, um, or sorry, a lot of Soviet films, particularly, it has a clear uh, uh, like uh, agenda. I mean, most movies do, but like uh, a lot of Soviet films were, you know. Um, if not, were financed by and then had to be approved by the government, so they uh, had to have um, uh, messaging, I guess, that the government would approve of. And so the, the movie is definitely like very anti-German. Which, when you come into World War Two, like, yeah, that's not that difficult. <laughs> like, I am not, that's not a complaint. I'm not complaining about um, the the movie's clear. Like, Russians are good guys and. And, and, and Germans are, uh, are are the bad guys. But um, I think what's interesting is that the movie is about, two, like I said, these two soldiers who once ca- captured by the Germans, um, they take very different paths in how they react to being captured by the Germans. And um, it pretty much, those paths pretty much still bring them to the same place uh it's a bleak black and white movie it's a black and white movie and also takes place in like snowy countryside so it's like there's it's very stark uh monochromatic uh movie um and i think it that is reflected in its uh view that when you're dealing with bad guys like the germans um it doesn't matter what you do they're still out to get you um i feel like i could have said more about that but i'm fried and also it was like peeping in the curtain i was like i kind of had like a panic attack that night that i watched the ascent so i feel bad that i didn't uh have more to say about it um i guess i have a bit more to say if you'll let me uh, take a drink real quick jesus i have a bit more to say about cooper rafe's cha-cha real smooth a movie i was very much looking forward to because uh his debut feature couple years ago shithouse really took me by surprise um i thought the name shithouse was stupid and i thought it was going to be you know it's about this like it's it's this very young writer director starring in it it's an indie about a college kid you know falling in love with his ra or whatever um and i was like this seems so navel gazing so masturbatory and then i watched it and it has way more self-awareness uh, and also just a fantastic, uh, a fantastically light touch with the filmmaking for, for someone usually young directors are so out to like make a voice or like establish a voice in themselves to prove themselves that they kind of like, uh, become self-conscious in the, in, in the direction and, and, and shithouse felt so, uh, natural and, and so able to, um, exist in a moment to evoke a uh 
uh, a relationship between characters moment to moment a conversation you know the way that the, it, it um, elucidates the air in between the the characters in, in a lot of ways anyway this is this isn't even a movie i watched <laughs> i watched shit out two years ago what i'm saying is i loved shithouse or i really liked it but maybe bumped up to love because i was such it was such a surprise so i was really looking forward to cha-cha real smooth and i'm not going to say it disappointed it but I, I will say cha-cha real smooth is not as good as shithouse because i do think it has a little bit of the like again cooper rafe wrote and stars in it and i think he's a little bit like nicer to this character in a way that feels like uh uh um self I heard he used the word masturbatory, so I have to say something else. Self, uh, self-service, <laughs> like a gas station. Um, uh, it, yeah, it, it, it does seem a little bit like this, this dude who's supposed to be like awkward and directionless also, um, uh, has plenty of luck with, with, with women and is like, uh, a natural and like very funny in a lot of situations. It feels like he's kind of uh, puffing himself up a, a little bit, but um, the characters being like very naturally conversational and, and, and personable is actually a big part of the plot. So I like, I don't want to uh, say that that's just uh, self-congratulatory icing on the cake. It is, uh, it is important, but um, I didn't find Chacharos move to be as, psychologically engaging as as shithouse but that 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 sense of moments that are simultaneously uh uh indelible and fleeting i think that um is is something that that carries over uh, that is that is very present in in Chacha real smooth, um, and it's often it's it's the kind of thing I think that we I don't know those of us who are geriatric millennials and older you know Gen X and Boomers and stuff like that think of as like well that's a mature like normally you know we think youth is wasted on the young that sort of thing and like wow for a guy who's in his early 20s to be that aware of of how fleeting um and and rare every single moment is is uh uh not that common but i also think that you know i kind of i don't want to say that chacha rosemuth is anywhere near in the company of the worst person in the world but it kind of has that similar like yeah to younger people now though they live in a world where especially if they're paying attention you know like existential threats are always looming and they seem inevitable and i think being uh, uh, you know the um LCD sound system song where he's talking about like uh, uh, I never knew when he's talking about all the songs that are like tonight 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 I never knew so many young people thought about dying and I wanted to be like yeah James Murphy young people do think about dying because they have to all the time because the world seems like it could get yanked out from under them at any at any moment and so um, I do think I don't want to like I mean there's no way to be like keep a straight face and use phrases like voice of a generation but um i do think that uh um to <laughs> to paraphrase hannah from episode one of girls 
uh, Cooper Rafe is a voice of his generation. Um, and uh, uh, I look forward to seeing what he does um, what he does next, especially I, I didn't even get to like the biggest like special effect, if you will, um, in Chachero Smooth is Dakota Johnson. Um, and in, in Shithouse, he cast Dylan, Dylan Galula. He has a really great eye for casting people that he will work well with, that play well off of off of him. And um, Dakota Johnson is uh, so wonderful in, in this movie as the, like, I guess for Cooper Rafe, older woman, although he's she's having the very pointedly not as old as the other moms that he uh is comes into contact with in his job as a bar and bat mitzvah party starter um uh now i lost my train of thought but um but her dakota johnson's screen presence and and allure uh, i've always i've always liked her but this might it might be the the best showcase for her pure movie star qualities um that I have seen so far. And there's some competition too, because I like, I like a lot of her stuff. Uh, all right, last couple, let's blow through them. Um, last night saw a new, uh, British comedy called Brian and Charles, directed by Jim Archer, starring David Earl and Chris Hayward as Brian and Charles. Uh, Brian is a small town, uh, loner and eccentric who fancies himself an inventor, but, um, is very, bad at all of the like uh mechanic and engineering parts of inventing but then he does sort of accidentally and maybe with some help from a lightning strike uh invent a like artificially intelligent robot named charles and uh the movie is about the friendship between um this this man and this very goofy robot um yeah, a lot of the stuff is uh, uh, not particularly uh, deep. Um, I think the if there's a main reason to watch Brian and Charles, it's for the the laughs. David Earl um, is a good comic persona, and Charles, <laughs> the robot. The, you know, if you're gonna have a funny robot, you gotta have a funny robot voice. And the voice they landed on for Charles is the best thing about the movie, in that it's like it's a halting like robot voice kind of like you think of like you associate with like Stephen Hawking or whatever but it's also kind of like posh um but also he's as he gets older he's kind of like a uh he goes from being like Brian's pet to being like Brian's child and then like he becomes like a petulant like tween a teenager or whatever and so um he's doing things like uh, you know headstrong teenager things of like trying to push the boundaries of what brian will get him let him get away with in in this like uh uh self-centered teenage way but also he sounds like an aristocratic robot at the same time that's definitely the best source of comedy in in the movie um but uh i don't know um emotionally there's like a romance with brian and another woman and then there's like a bully in town and it all seems kind of like uh formulaic uh, and then final movie I watched just last night, a documentary call from 2017 called Rancher Farmer Fisherman. And it is a, uh, it was made for discovery, the discovery channel, uh, by the discovery channel. It's a sort of triptych, uh, as the title suggests about, um, 
rancher uh, ranchers farmers and fishermen who are changing um the way that they do their jobs with an eye toward um things like sustainability basically um uh and often it's by not looking forward to like what are new things we can do it's looking past it's looking back it's saying like how how were these jobs done before they were uh so mechanized and 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 so um massively uh commercial how can we um ranch farm and fish in 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 ways that um suit our needs and the country and society's needs and not plunder and destroy um the uh the land uh again like almost kind of like going back to that um newspaper man documentary the ben bradley documentary uh feels very made for tv and very like i'm here to get a point across not to like make a you know starting revelatory cathartic cinema uh and so uh i feel like i i learned a lot i know what no-till farming is now i know about um the uh red snapper derbies that used to exist that were well-intentioned but had the uh a more deleterious effect on the red snapper population than um they were supposed to or they're supposed to preserve i know some things now uh that i didn't know before and i guess that's something you can say for ranger farmer fishermen